This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. One month from today, we are done with Barack Obama as President of the United States. Yes, one month from today, America's nightmare will be over. Who's been the biggest beneficiary of having Barack Obama in the White House? I'll let you ponder that for a moment. Welcome to the program. I'm Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. I'm your host for today. This is the Glenn Beck Program, filling in for Glenn What an honor this is. I'll give my usual disclaimer. This is Glenn's program. This is a, he's a brand. He has built this brand. Uh, Those tuning in today, you are his listeners. And I want to be respectful of that. But at the same time, I've been given the liberty, if you will, to express my own views. So if I say something that you don't agree with, I say something, uh, you know, you get all, all uh, rankled about. Don't worry about it, right? Life's too short. Blame me. Don't blame uh, Glenn, and don't blame the blaze. I got big shoulders. I got blamed for a lot of stuff. I still have some room on those shoulders. Coming up in the show today, we're going to be joined by two guests, actually, one in the uh, second hour, one in the third hour. I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to be joined uh, in actually the first hour by uh, Hans von Spakovsky. He's an authority in a wide range of issues, including civil rights, civil justice, the First Amendment, immigration, the rule of law, and government reform. He's a senior legal legal fellow in the uh, Heritage Foundation's Edwin Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And with Hans, we're going to talk about the United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division and uh, the consent decree process where the federal government uh, liberally has taken over police agencies under the Barack Obama administration and how that leads to a rise in, in crime and violence under those consent decrees. Also, we're going to be joined later in the program by David French. He's a staff writer at National Review. He's an attorney. He concentrates his practice in uh, constitutional law and the law of armed conflict. He's a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And with David, we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter and their affinity, their love affair with the now departed, the late uh, Fidel Castro. Also, we're going to talk about the CIA colluding with the media to uh, put out glowing reports about themselves 
it's more evidence of of the corruption that has gone on in this country and our institutions of government. And it starts in the White House. It extends to the United States Department of Justice. You remember Loretta Lynch meeting with the husband of a person under investigation. And that was when she met on an airport tarmac. She did not believe that this would get out. But she met with uh, Bill Clinton. And, of course, you know, she blew it off at first. She said, well, we just talked about his grandkids and... You know, we talked about his golf game and so on and so forth. And for like five days, this woman stood up there and continued to deny that there was any impropriety or conflict of interest in doing that. And when the pressure got so heavy on the White House, she finally buckled and said it was wrong for her to do that. Actually, she should have been investigated and probably had her law license suspended over that. Uh, We've seen corruption in the IRS with going after uh, people, because their political views differed from that of the White House, the IRS was weaponized in not giving people their tax-exempt status or slow-walking that ability for those people to do that and engage in constitutionally protected activity, and that's the political process. So we'll talk about that as well. Let's get back to uh, what I said to open the program. Who's been the biggest beneficiary beneficiary of of President Obama in the White House. I will suggest to you it is the convicted criminal. Came across an article, story the other day, and it's, uh, here's what it says, Obama's pardons the most people ever in a single day. President Obama granted clemency to 231 inmates on Monday, the most ever in one day in U.S. history. The pardons are part of Obama's clemency push before he leaves office in a few weeks. Coming out of the USA Today, it goes on to say that with just 32 days left in office, Obama Obama more than doubled the number of pardons he granted in the previous seven years. And if my memory serves me correct, I think he's pardoned or, or issued clemency to more people uh, than any president in U.S. history. So this is something new. And this, this USA Today story goes on to say that the president is playing, this is a quote from Jeff Sessions, the uh, nominee to be the next attorney general. The president is playing a dangerous game to advance his political ideology, Senator Jeff Sessions uh, said after Obama granted a single-day record of 214 commutations in August. This story also goes on to say that Obama's actions follow a pattern of pre-holiday clemency that critics have called part of a broken process, and I would agree with that. I'm not going to suggest that he doesn't have the right to do this, under his executive power, but I think it's being abused. It's been part of the Democrat uh, uh, campaign, their failed campaign, to embrace criminality, criminal behavior, criminal lifestyles, and to make excuses for that sort of thing. It's why the American voter rejected Mrs. Bill Clinton to become the next president of the United States. They had seen enough of that stuff, and uh, it was a very slippery slope that they were on. And hopefully we have put an end to that. Uh, came across something else that's kind of interesting here. Planned Parenthood. This comes from LifeSite News. It's, it's, the title says, Does Planned Parenthood do any good for women's health? These stats will shock your liberal friends. But, 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 Planned Parenthood offers all of these other services. That's the battle cry from pro-choice activists across the nation and attempts to redefine what Planned Parenthood clearly is, a business that profits predominantly from the killing of over 3 
120,000 human beings a year. Think about that, folks. This story goes on to say, what about those other services at Planned Parenthood? Well, they're in a free fall, just like the mainstream media's credibility. Breast cancer screenings at Planned Parenthood, they claim to do those, down 51.3% in the last five years. Pap tests, down 64.7%. Prenatal care, which looks to be facing an eventual phase-out, is down 44%. HPV treatments, down 37%. All of these decline have occurred in Planned Parenthood's fiscal years 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, and 2014. But you won't hear that from America's fake news outlets like MSNBC, CNN, NBC News, New York Times, Huffington Post, LA Times, and many more. All you hear, all you will hear is that undeniably distinct sound of cheerleading for planned parenthood. Story goes on to say that failure pays. Well, Planned Parenthood doesn't see less health care as a failure. Since Cecile Richards took over the helm at the eugenics birth organization, the number of annual abortions committed rose from 289,006 to 323,014, a 12% jump. That's an increase from 23% of all U.S. abortions to nearly 32% today. That's something worth celebrating at a place that kills for a living. Well, Planned Parenthood and killing the unborn is like Hillary Clinton and corruption, this story says. They are inseparable. One of the first things I think that Donald Trump should do in his first 100 days upon assuming the the Oval Office is to reinstitute that ban on public funding for abortion. Look, I'm not going to sit here today and get into uh, whether whether Roe v. Wade should be reversed, reversed, but I don't want my federal tax dollars going to the killing of the unborn, not to mention that Planned Parenthood kills more black babies than any other race. Again, I'm Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, filling in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Radio Program. If you want to get in on any of these uh, topics today, the call-in number is 888-727-BECK. That's 888-727-2325. We're going to take a break, and on the other side, when we come back, we're going to be joined by my first guest, uh, Hans von Spakovsky, and we're going to talk about consent decrees. Let's take a break. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is the Glenn Beck Program. 
Welcome back to the program, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, your host for today. This is the Glenn Beck Radio Program. Last week, Attorney General Loretta Lynch said that it is possible that the Justice Department and the city of Baltimore and their officials will have a consent decree in place to reform the city's police department over the next few weeks. Uh, She said that she was hopeful to have an announcement on the status of the consent decree negotiations between the police department and the city. And this is a quote from her. We're looking forward to getting a positive response from city officials on finalizing this consent decree and making sure that everyone in Baltimore has the constitutional policing that all citizens deserve. This follows the death of Freddie Gray uh, that resulted in riots in the city of Baltimore. I'm joined on the line today by Hans von Spakovsky. Hans, I I introduced you in the opening. Uh, People have a, a little bit of your bio. Welcome to the program. Sheriff Clark, thanks for having me. Hans, here's where I want to start. Your experience or, or, or knowledge about the United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, their attitude, uh, their temperament, their their um, um, zeal, if you will, to go after police departments across the United States. Yeah, the Civil Rights Division has a particular section inside of it. It's called the Special Litigation Section, and they are the ones that are responsible for uh, policing police departments. What what they're doing is enforcing this federal statute that prohibits what's called a pattern in practice of unconstitutional behavior. The, here's the problem: the 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 people who work in that, the lawyers who work there, they were all hired from uh, liberal, progressive advocacy organizations like the NAACP, the ACLU, uh, prisoners' rights organizations. Um, There's one woman in there who, before she came to the Civil Rights Division, was working trying to get one of the terrorists in Guantanamo Bay uh, released. And and not only do they not have any experience in law enforcement, uh, they have a real hostility to law enforcement. one of the folks that we know who heads that section uh, has expressed his hatred for American law enforcement. And so you've got people coming in supposedly uh, to see how law enforcement uh, uh, and police departments are performing who who hate the police. And they go far beyond what they're supposed to do. They often uh, come to conclusions that aren't supported by the evidence. It, it's really one of the worst worst offices inside the Justice Department. You know, it's interesting because yesterday on this program I talked about Debo Adegbele, who uh, Barack Obama uh, last week, the end of last week, gave a six-year appointment to the uh, U.S. DOJ Civil Rights Division. And I talked yesterday about the the attitude of Debo Adegbele. He's a black racialist. He's anti-police. He was turned down uh, by the United States Senate. He was not concerned. His confirmation was rejected in a bipartisan fashion uh, to become a federal judge. And then Barack Obama turned around and uh, tried to make them the head of the U.S. DOJ Civil Rights Division. And at the time, there were several U.S. senators, including Pat Toomey, uh, among others, who said he was not a good fit. He didn't have the right temperament. He comes in with a bias. Uh, He's very anti-police. And so at the end now... Barack Obama continues to shove this guy down our throats with uh, this appointment, the six-year appointment that doesn't require a Senate confirmation uh, to be a part of the U.S. DOJ. But you mentioned in a talk that you gave that I attended 
that these, uh, many of these, not all of them, many of these are career bureaucrat lawyers that if they weren't working in the uh, United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division as career bureaucrat lawyers, they'd be speaking, uh, uh, they'd be uh, doing professor work at some liberal university. Why do you think that is, that that the uh, U.S. DOJ is full of these uh, biased individuals? Well, they're self-replicating. Um, I, I know from my experience there that the managers of, of the different offices and sections, um, all of whom are very liberal career folks, um, they, they, frankly, they discriminate in their hiring in the, in the career positions. If you're a conservative, if, you, if you're somebody who believes in the Constitution, the rule of law, uh, you might as well forget applying to work. Uh, there, because the managers make sure that only individuals who they consider to be very liberal will get hired. In fact, there was an inspector general report uh, released three years ago. This is the inspector general of the Justice Department, and he criticized uh, one of the other sections there, the voting section, for uh, in its hiring practices ignoring individuals who came in with really high. Uh, professional qualifications in favor of hiring almost all of their lawyers only from five liberal advocacy groups, including uh, the ACLU. So you can see how they basically slant the hiring process to make sure that only very liberal lawyers who agree uh, with them and who are hostile to the police uh, are the ones who are going to get hired. Why should these cities uh, fight and resist these consent decrees? Because uh, the department goes far beyond its authority under the law. Let me, let me give an example of what I mean. Um, the law they're enforcing says, has, says there has to be a pattern in practice of official misbehavior. In other words, look, you may occasionally get uh, a policeman who goes too far, you know, uses excessive violence. Um, the fact that one police officer does that in a large um, police force of a city, that doesn't meet the, the requirements of the law. And the, only, uh, the only way it would meet the requirements of the law is if the city had an official policy of telling all of its officers to engage in that kind of excessive violence. It has to be a pattern and practice of it. Right. Th- th- this department, this Justice Department, goes after police departments for what are considered these isolated incidents and tries to tie them up into saying, oh, well, the entire department engages in that kind of behavior. Therefore, we have to put in all these standards for the entire department. And then they go far beyond just correcting that problem. Instead, they try to impose their own ideas, their own standards of how law enforcement should behave, including, by the way, putting in, and this is something they did in the the city of Ferguson, they put all kinds of social engineering into their uh, thing. In the Ferguson case, uh, the consent decree has basically a quota hiring in it for everything from uh, racial and gender characteristics to their sexual identity and, and, and things like that. I mean, it's just crazy what some of these towns unfortunately agreed to, to do with the Justice Department. You know, these things are onerous. These things are expensive. And yeah. in many of the cities that are under these consent decrees, what we have found is that they've led to an increase in crime. I was talking to a um, Oakland 
PD, Oakland Police Department, Oakland, California, uh, several weeks ago, and he was saying to me, Sheriff, he says, I can't do police work anymore. Every time I make a traffic stop, uh, I have to spend time filling out forms. I have to collect data right. for the United States Department right. of Justice. And, and so it, it prevents me from going back into service to serve people. Hans, I'm coming up on a break. Uh, I have to let you go, but I want to thank you for joining me. And if I get the chance, uh, we'll continue this conversation. Thanks very much. Thank, thanks for having me. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Radio Program. Coming on the other side of the break, we're going to get into this 21st Century Policing Task Force that was convened by President Barack Obama. And I'm going to offer a thesis, an argument, if you will, uh, that these recommendations are causing officers to lose their their uh, their survival edge. Back on the other side of the break. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Thanks for staying with us. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, I'm your host today on the Glenn Beck Program. Call in number is 888-727-2325. That's 888-727-BECK. Deadly terror attack yesterday in Berlin, and then they had a uh, terror attack in, in Turkey as well, where a Russian ambassador was killed Again, terror rears its ugly head. I was encouraged to hear this. Uh, this was President-elect Donald Trump's response. And this is a quote. These terrorists and their regional and worldwide networks must be eradicated from the face of the earth. That's the kind of language I want to hear out of my commander-in-chief. For the last eight years, all we've heard after one of these terror attacks, including the ones here at home, Orlando, San Bernardino, uh, upstate New York, all we would hear from the current commander-in-chief, we'd get lectures about uh, we can't blame um, Islam and, and we can't blame Muslims, and no one was ever suggesting that anyway. No one has ever suggested that all Muslims are responsible for this or believe in it or support it, or that Islam as is a religion in total was at the heart of the problem. Radical Islamic terrorism is. So I think it's encouraging that at least uh, we'll have a new direction. We'll have uh, a new, we'll have new rhetoric, if you will, as it relates to uh, these terror attacks, which are going to continue. Look, here in the United States, we're a target-rich environment. We're an open society. We want it that way. We do not want to shut everything down. And, and you know, look what we're doing at our nation's airports with the TSA. You know, we suspect every American traveler of being a terrorist, every single one gets put through the screening they're felt up they get their 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 baggage and their luggage screened and searched and everything else but yeah when one of these happens you know from this from this current president in this administration all we hear is well you know we 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 we're doing something wrong and we must have done something wrong to upset these individuals so on and so forth so you know my 
thoughts and prayers, and I'm, I'm sure yours as well, are with the people of Berlin as they struggle with this. But one of the things that Europe has to realize is their open borders and their, their, their belief in and support for open borders is somewhat to blame for this. My limited understanding is still early in this investigation that some refugee that was in some refugee camp uh, probably inspired, ISIS-inspired, but uh, time will tell in that investigation. So we'll see what happens there. Here's what I'm going to get into next. This The President Task Force on 21st Century Policing. President Barack Obama, as a result of the, uh, the Ferguson and the, the Baltimore riots, convened a task force. He was going to transform American policing. Here's a guy who's never policed, not for one hour in his life. He knows nothing about policing. And he specifically knows nothing about policing at the local level. What officers deal with on a daily basis, what they come across on a daily basis, how dangerous this job is. So he convenes this task force, and he puts, he puts bureaucrats on the task force, including another black racialist, Brittany Packnett, I think her name is, Black Lives Matter, hates cops, puts her on the task force. He did not put one street-level law enforcement officer on the task force to get their perspective of what's happening at ground level, officer. What are you dealing with on a daily basis? What can we do? What do you see? What can we do to help you do your job more effectively and in a safer manner? Not one. He puts all these law enforcement executives, mainly chiefs. I don't believe he put any elected sheriffs on the task force. And they come up with this set of recommendations. And when I read this thing, when it first came out, I read it, I read the report, and then I immediately put it in the shredder. I said, this stuff is crazy. It's going to get officers hurt and killed. Here are a few of the recommendations that came out of this, uh, this task force. Building trust and legitimacy. Community policing and crime reduction. Training and education. Safety and wellness. The future of community policing. Police and oversight. Here's some more that came out of this, this, this um, 101-page report. Some principles. Treating people with dignity and respect. We've always demanded that of our law enforcement officers. Does it happen from time to time when cops go outside our code of conduct and mistreat people? Sure, and we need to deal with that. Here's another one. Giving individuals voice during encounters. Now let me stop here. When a law enforcement officer makes a lawful stop, Traffic stop, field interview stop. It has to be based on either reasonable suspicion or probable cause. That's what the Constitution is, rule of law. We can't just stop people willy-nilly or say, hey, uh, I just don't feel right about this individual. Let me pull them out. You, you can't do that. Am I suggesting it never happens? Well, of course not. But the officer has to articulate at some point why that stop was made. But once that encounter is made and it's a lawful stop, that's not a 50-50 proposition. We're not giving anybody voice during these encounters. Law enforcement officers give lawful commands. Get out of the car. Let me see your hands. Let me see your, your driver's license, your insurance. And you know what? You have to comply with it. Voice during the encounter? What, a discussion about what the officer's doing and, and whether or not that officer should be doing it? You've got to be kidding me. 
One of the other recommendations, being neutral and transparent in decision-making, conveying trustworthy motives. This is amazing. Here's another one here that really got me. This is what led me to believe this thing was going in the shredder when I was done. It says law enforcement agencies should build relationships based on trust with immigrant communities. I don't deny that. This is central to overall public safety. But here's what they recommend. To decouple federal immigration enforcement from routine local policing or civil enforcement and non-serious crimes. It says here the Department of Homeland Security should terminate the use of state and local criminal justice systems, including through detention, notification, and transfer requests, to enforce civil immigration laws against civil and non-serious criminal offenders. Listening sessions. So in other words, they're saying the federal government shouldn't uh, work with local law enforcement uh, agencies to enforce immigration. This stuff is insane. It's completely insane. So they make these recommendations. And we're going to continue this uh, uh, through the break. But they make these recommendations. But there's something that's missing here. Something very important. Again, 888-727-BECK or 888-727-2325. There's something very important missing from these recommendations. You know what they don't talk about? Officer safety. This report and this task force basically is trying to turn law enforcement officers, a very dangerous job, into social workers. There's a reason why we don't have social workers responding to police calls for service. It's not a good fit. It's too dangerous. So we're going to remake police officers. At least this is what Barack Obama's vision is. We're going to remake police officers into something that they weren't trained to do. It's not their skill set. It's not that they can't get better at some of these things, but it's not in their wheelhouse. So when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how I believe, and I'm offering this as a thesis, which is an argument, that we're dulling their their, their senses, and it's leading to police officers getting hurt and killed. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the program, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, your host for today and for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. Again, the call-in number is 888-727-BECK, 888-727-2325. Before we went to the break, I was talking about this 21st century uh, task force on, on policing, transforming policing that was put together by President Barack Obama. And in his attempt to transform this profession into something that it's not, and I'm offering a thesis. I'm doing some more work on it right now, uh, but I'm offering the thesis that uh, we're dulling law enforcement officers' senses on the street, senses that they need to stay alive. We're turning them into things like negotiators, arbitrators. It's not a good fit for the realities of street life for a law enforcement officer. Uh, Before we get back into this, let's go to the phones. George from Pennsylvania, welcome to the program. 
Good morning, Sheriff Clark. Thank you for uh, being there and for what you're bringing to the table. My pleasure. I have two questions for you, and I think that if you answer these, this might help the listening audience understand a little bit more about immigration law and maybe some of the misunderstandings that people have. Now, I, I'm not an attorney, and I don't play one on TV, but I would, what I'd like to understand is, first of all, it's my understanding that immigration law in the United States is a civil infraction, not a criminal infraction or offense. Well, first of all, there are civil and, and criminal. And again, I'm not a lawyer either, but I, I, I'm, I have some familiarity. I have some responsibility, and I've been involved with uh, some programs working with the uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. One of them was called Secure Communities, which was ended by President Obama. But if you come back into the country after you've been deported, that becomes a criminal offense. That's what we were dealing with out in San Francisco with Kate Steinle. That guy had been de- deported five or six times. So that's a criminal offense. And also, uh, I-, I talked about it the other day. I think it's 8 U.S.C. 1324 that provides criminal penalties for people who harbor, uh, hide, and provide cover to people that they know are in the country illegally. So it's both civil and criminal. What's the penalty for, like, repeat apprehension under the criminal side of, of reoffending for reentering the country? Well, I don't know about those details. I think it's up to five years to start with uh, in prison. But for the uh, 8 U.S.C., U.S. Code 1324, uh, for sanctuary cities or individuals, uh, the penalty is up to one year in federal prison and a heavy fine. Okay. Second question. With respect to your community, and I think that this applies to a lot of communities around the, around the country, if a bunch of illegal immigrants are dumped or migrate to a community, and then the schools are forced to take in illegal immigrant children and educate them and provide resources and buildings and teachers and all the stuff to successfully accomplish that. From your experience, can you comment on what it does to the taxation and, 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 and the tax revenue for the people of that area that now all of a sudden find themselves having to build two or three new schools because that load was not previously there and all of a sudden it pops up and they have to meet that need. Sure, George. First of all, thanks for the the call. It's a strain on local resources, and that's one of the other reasons why you have to control uh, the influx of people into your country because it is a, 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 uh, a strain on local resources, schools and things like that, uh, that you have to be able to plan for. Plus, you know, in addition to national security and domestic security issues and public health issues that I talked about uh, on yesterday's program, you want to control um, the influx of another country's ne'er-do-wells. I'm not afraid to say that. All right. With your immigration and, and, and every country is concerned about this, you want to make sure that you're getting the best of the brightest people who are going to contribute to this society and not just be a drain on it. So that's another reason. But getting back to this 21st century um, um, task force on policing, now, there's an emphasis on, on less than lethal force, uh, de-escalation, more negotiation and dialogue, they stress. And that's okay in, in, in many situations, but it not, it's not in some of these deadly encounters that law enforcement officers um, are confronted with. And what I believe is, when I get through with this, um, this thesis, if you will, this argument, which I know I can prove, uh, what we're going to find is it's dulling officers' senses. You know, officer uh, killings are up 68% in 2016, 68% over last year. The ambush killings of police officers, and that's one of the things I'm going to zero in on, 
is, uh, you know, we're dulling their sentence. Officers need to be in a state of hypervigilance continually on their tour of duty, always scanning the environment, looking for danger, looking for things out of place. No matter how routine the call is or the traffic stop, you know, there's not much that's routine in a law enforcement officer's um, daily work. And so what we train them to be is hypervigilant. And I think we're dulling that sense when all this training now, implicit bias, that nonsense. Uh, things like, um, uh, you know, being a negotiator and, and de-escalation. And as it indicated in one of these uh, uh, things here that I read about, you know, uh, uh, initiating more dialogue as if it's a 50-50 proposition, which it is not. And so officers over time, this is going to happen over time. It doesn't happen overnight. We're teaching them to be social workers, and we're teaching them less to rely on their survival skills which are important to keep law enforcement officers alive, this is going to have catastrophic consequences on um, uh, future generations of law enforcement officers that um, make a decision or determination that they want to get involved in this type of career. Uh, This is a survival. There's a survival mentality that needs to be instilled in a law enforcement officer. They need to be versatile. There's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, I want these officers to come home, go home to their families, and uh, as we're seeing with some of the, st- some of these statistics, uh, that's not really happening the way it needs to be. I'm Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, and for Glenn Beck, this is the Glenn Beck Program. We have to take a break. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.